That was simply delicious. What was it? My lunch, I dare say. Coming up, our film and food review of Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe. Welcome to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, and thank you again for joining me here in episode 19. Welcome to 2022. We've had a bit of a break here at the Film and Food Podcast. If you haven't been aware, I and my beautiful wife, Bethany, welcomed our first child into the world, Elsie Blossom, and we have been spending all of our time getting the hang of being parents, just spending quality time with our baby and just getting the hang of our new life and so we've had quite a few months off and we've really appreciated the break but I'm really really excited to get into the new year and I think this is going to be the best year of the film and food podcast yet. So before we dive into this episode let me tell you a little bit about what's coming up. So first of all, all of our old favorite episodes are still going to be around. We're still going to be doing film and food reviews, fantasy film and food drafts. We're going to be doing triple threat episodes. We're going to be doing quick bites episodes. And we will also continue doing our Tawny Frogmouth film and food columns for the local magazine, The Tawny Frogmouth. Of course, if you don't live in Australia, if you don't live in the Northern Beaches, you're not going to get one. But go on our website the link is in the description and you can read those columns um, we do those every month and so we're also thinking with those tawny frog mouse that we might be releasing a mini bonus episode where i get to go a bit deeper into those reviews on all of the movies and tv shows and the recipe that i do in those columns in a bit more of a longer detailed way because i only get 500 words to do all of that in the column each month and so those mini bonus episodes might be 15 20 minutes long and i get to go a bit deeper into these great movies and tv shows and the recipe that we talk about in the magazine and so that is going to be really fun it's going to be just a great way to add more episodes to our repertoire speaking of episodes i'm looking at increasing the amount of episodes we do every year now i'm aiming for fortnightly but I really highly doubt that I'm going to get there. I'd love to get an episode out every fortnight. It may go back to being monthly, but but I'm really trying to put as many great quality episodes out there. And that's the thing. This is not my full-time job, and I'm only going to get busier being a parent, but I really want to get ahead and also just have a really great routine where I can make these and just give you guys more and more content from the Film and Food Podcast. So yeah, we're really excited about that. We're also excited about launching some new episode types. We're looking at doing filmography and food where we might review and rank every film from a director or every film from a franchise or whatever it is, make some food. And it's a great way to talk about a whole director's filmography. We're looking at doing some more award seasons content. Um, We're looking at doing maybe reaction videos to the academy awards and the nominations and all those sorts of things because that is one of my secret passions and so that might be actually occurring on our youtube channel so stay tuned for more of that but most of all thank you for joining us we're going to have a great 2022 there's going to be lots of discussion about movies and tv shows 
there's going to be lots of food and of course around may is when we do our top 10 films of 2021 as well as our annual film and food awards and that's one of my favorite favorite episodes so they're really excited to get into that one as well so without further ado this week's episode is a film and food review of the film who is killing the great chefs of europe and I'm really excited to say that we have a returning guest, Nick Charlie Key, who was with us on episode 9 when we reviewed Big Night. He has come back on the show, and I'm so excited for you to listen to our conversation. But before we do that, I wanted to say welcome to the Film and Food Podcast. We've basically given you a quick rundown of what we do. If you're new, we'd love you to catch up on some of our episodes and give us a go. We love film, we love food, and if you love any of those things, I'm sure you're going to love this podcast. So what is a film and food review? Well, basically, we review a film or a TV show on its culinary and cinematic qualities, and we do it in three different segments. First, we look at the menu, we give some details about the movie, we give our initial thoughts and feelings. Then it's time to dine. This is where we dive into our spoiler review. We talk about our highlights, our favorite film moments, our favorite food moments, and then finally, we give our compliments to the chef, where we give our final reviews and ratings for the film. We also give a film-based recipe, at least one, sometimes more, for each film and food review. And we love our recipes, and I'm sure you're going to love them too. Finally, we always have a guest on a film and food review, and I've already said I'm really excited to welcome Nick Charlie Key from the Fantastic History of Food podcast back onto the show. And so... I'm going to pass it over to our initial conversation where we catch up on life, we introduce ourselves, we introduce the movie. This episode was recorded back in October in 2021 before I became a parent and the conversation between Nick Charlie and myself is just amazing. We love having him on the show and so stick with us. This is our film and food review of the 1974 classic Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe. I'd also like to make a quick note that this is a hard movie for you to find, but it's definitely one that I recommend you go and check out. What I'm going to do is leave some links in the show notes of this episode where you can find a copy of this movie. I don't know what region or country you're in, and there isn't many streaming options. I had to buy mine on DVD. My recommendation is just check out those links, have a Google, have a good research, and go and find this film so that you can listen to this episode and just really enjoy the conversation. Well, I'm very excited to welcome back to the show for the second time, best-selling author, recent father for the second time, and the host of the fantastic History of Food podcast, Nick Charlie Key. Hello, and thank you for having me back in. Man, I've been looking forward to this. We've been trying to get this uh, this one over the line for months now. I'm glad we're finally, finally getting to it. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's really great to have you back. I think we had this show on the cards for about six or seven months, but we delayed it for a very good reason. What was that? Uh, I mean, a number of things. I got sick. COVID <laughs> happened. I had a second kid. Like a million different things. And also, the movie was quite hard to find. But, uh, the movie was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we were meant to record. I basically, I think I messaged you saying, do you want to go for maybe a more traditional, a more well-known movie? Or do you want to do something a bit crazy? And mm. you obliged me and said, let's do something a bit crazy. 
and oh, yeah, then you were sick on the day we we're meant to record, and then yeah, you had your second <clears throat> child, which is amazing, and now we're here, and yeah. it's pretty funny because we did episode nine, and now this is episode nineteen. Hey, so, okay, I'll see you again in some between cool nine. Symmetry there. <laughs> yeah, every ten we'll do we'll do another I'll do twenty nine as well. So be good. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's what's it been like being a father for the second time? What have you been up to lately? Yeah, it's been good. Um, having two kids has been interesting, um, especially uh, trying to work and with lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. Having kids at home, it's been it's been interesting. But I also think, um, how many times in your life you're going to get the ability to spend so much time with your kids? You know, so that's yeah. been it, it's a it's one of those things where I think I'll appreciate that in a couple of years time. You know, once the madness of the moment stops, but uh, but in a couple of years time, look back and go, ah, I wouldn't trade that for anything. But it's been it's been really really cool, man. But it's uh, it's been it's been hectic just from you know we don't live in a we don't live in a massive house. We've got like a two bedroom house, and um, and we don't really have a garden either. So to have like a two and a half year old son who just wants to go kick balls and you know splash around or whatever, um, we have to make good use of the parks in the in the neighborhood. So but it's been good. It's been good. How have things been with you? Yeah, I, think I know it's you've been got very you've good. got big you've got big news as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um... We, yeah, this year's been basically from the beginning of the year, it's been a whole journey of us having our first baby. So we're due very, very soon. So this probably isn't going to come out until after I've had the baby, to be honest, because I think I've Hmm. gone, uh, (laughs) well, I need to just give myself some time and, you know, maybe take some good advice and get a couple episodes ahead uh, Mm. for when I go back. So I'm not always scrambling. Cause I feel like I'm always scrambling at the end of every month to try and get something out. So yeah. Um, it's very exciting. We're, we're super stoked. Uh, we're pretty, I feel like I, my, my job is working with kids. And so I'm pretty ready to be a dad. I was just talking to somebody at my church who runs at the play group there. And I was like, I'll come when I have a child and I'll read books and do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> like That's I'll so bake. Good. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's a slightly daunting. It's just the not knowing. It's not like we're scared. It's just going, mm. you actually don't know. Like you hear all these mm. things, but I think we've the biggest thing we've heard is to like, just know that it goes so fast in that. Yeah. You know, I, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but you know, you won't, you'll be going, wow, they're sleeping through the day and they're eating real food yeah. and they're crawling and running. And now they're yeah. at school, like um, it, in the blink yeah. of an eye. So you've got to appreciate the sleeplessness, you know? Yeah. At the very I mean, beginning. The, the someone, someone there, you know, there's a good quote. Someone said the days are long, but the years are short. So that's, and that's so true. Like it's so true. Yeah. You get yeah. to the end of each day and you feel so tired, but like I said, my son's already two and a half and I don't know where the time's gone. So you're, also wish someone had given me that advice about getting a getting a couple episodes ahead i initially if i mean my i literally think i started my podcast about two weeks before my son was born (laughs) i I don't know what i was thinking but uh yeah that's why my my release schedule is so erratic unfortunately but trying to get trying to get like more consistent gosh yeah i feel that so on that note, for those who haven't listened to our first episode together, and maybe you have, it was episode nine. We talked about the great film, Big Night. Um, tell us a bit about your podcast and how that came about and what it's about. Yeah, sure. I'll give you the quick summary. It's uh, it's basically a podcast. Uh, it's, it's more of a history podcast than it is a food podcast, but it's like 
bizarre stories from history that in some way involve food. So every episode has something to do with food. So my, you know, I've, by this time when this comes out, I would have already released it. But I mean, I've got one coming up. It's about the Nottingham cheese riots. Um, I've got an episode that just recently released about a story about three different guys at three different times who pushed a peanut, a peanut up a mountain with their nose. Like it's just weird stories that happen through history that are awesome to tell, but it's nice to kind of give them a, a bit more of a niche to, to focus on. And so because I love food as much as, you know, like you do, we, we've both chosen to do podcasts that are, you know, something and food. So yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a good, it's a good way to get, uh, to do it. But um, yeah, so I just try to find interesting, bizarre stories, usually about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so good for a commute. Um, and uh, yeah, they are about 30 episodes in now and yeah, check it out if you can. Yeah. And you're in the middle of a season at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, I've just actually re so I'm, my 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 season three paused because of my second child, um and so I was about five episodes in and I've got uh, yeah yeah I've got about two that have been re- released and I've got another three on the cards that are are scheduled for release, um and I'm going to kind of just try to see how much I can keep going, um because I don't want to really take another break too soon so we'll see yeah but it releases about every two weeks. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think. I think history and food in 15 to 20 minutes is just like the perfect podcast length and interest. Like I just, you know, even if you're not, I feel like even if you're not into it, like everybody loves a bit of a crazy story. So I know I I find it super interesting because I have a secret little passion for history. So it is Mm. actually, it's super great to listen to. All right. And since we've last chatted, because it is the film and food podcast, have you seen Mm. any good movies? And have you eaten any good food? Oh, oh man. Uh, I've been trying to do a lot of experimental cooking at home because obviously we can't go out that much. So mm-hmm. eating of good food has been totally reliant on how good my cooking is. But um, I've been I've been um, getting a lot more into Thai food um, and trying to experiment. We've got, a, I found this amazing little shop just down the road from us that sells like all of the ingredients you can't get at the superstores or, or like the, the big uh, shopping um, stores. What are they called? Supermarkets? Why did that go out of my head? Um, uh, you know, like the like like black bean sauce and the, the like the real authentic like fish sauces and oyster mm. sauces and all those sorts yeah. of things that are make for really really good um, like curries and well like Thai curries. But I've also got this amazing dish where you do um, I don't know if you've ever cooked with sort of rice vermicelli that really thin oh yeah um, yeah noodle. And obviously, if you boil it, it goes like a normal noodle. But in this one recipe that I found, you basically get a pan full of like super hot oil and you throw these vermicelli in there and they puff up super crispy, like instantly puff up super crispy. So it's almost like um, we've got chips here in South Africa called chipniks, which are like this. Like It's almost like, um, have you ever eaten those things at, a, at, at like a, an Asian restaurant? they're almost like this oyster chips i don't know if you've ever had them yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. so it almost goes a bit kind like of puffy and crunchy kind of thing yeah 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 almost like a rice krispies almost like that kind of a texture yeah. but in like a long noodle form um and then you do this wow. amazing like chicken and spring onion and all of the sauces and it is and coriander and it's amazing so i've been i've been my wife is like keeps she keeps coming home and going, again because <laughs> i'm just in love with this dish now <laughs> but um i'd say that's probably the biggest win of my um, my cooking adventures recently, but in terms of movies, um, 
honestly i've actually been watching more series recently than than movies oh, um, we can talk about that yeah yeah yeah. there's a yeah oh, i'm trying to think i mean obviously uh, well as recording this i don't know i've just finished watching squid game which is the big the big oh, new haven't one got on. there yet. it's uh look it's 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 amazing i really really enjoyed it and i think also um i think i mentioned last time but i i, I did i lived for a year in korea and I was actually amazed at how much of the, because I watched with the subtitles, and I was amazed at how much of the language I could still like partly understand. Um, so that was, was also just cool um, to kind of rehear that language, because I was like, you know, spending a year just, just hearing that language all the time, and then watching the show, it felt very reminiscent of that, which was nice for me. But um, yeah, it is, they have definitely do have some gory scenes. So it depends on your, your like ability to handle gore, I guess. It's not, it's not over yeah. the top by any means, but it's definitely there. So, but your know, incredible writing. And incredible cinematography. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's on my list. Maybe that will be yeah. midnight dad watching at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you? How about you? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, m- movies have been drying out for me. I've been... Um, most of the stuff I watch is... I have an edition right here, but this is... I have started writing since our last episode for this little magazine, yeah. which has been super fun um, and allows me to sort of come up with a little theme and and review a movie uh, a current movie or current show and like an old one and um so basically it's like two movies and a tv show and then write a recipe and so i've got to fit it all in 500 words um for this uh, magazine called the tawny frog mouth and so the latest the latest edition i did was um i talked about ted lasso which i'm oh, sure gross. you're watching because i know you oh. love I know you love the Premier League, so I do. I do. You know, that's when I think I I think that came out as like a skit, like maybe five or eight years ago, something like that. It came out. I remember watching that and thinking, "This is hilarious," and it's been one of those things where I don't have. I think it's on. Is it on HBO or what is it on? No, it's on Apple, Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. Yeah, we don't have Apple TV Plus yet, um, so I haven't been able to watch it yet. But it's one of those things where like I know I'm going to watch it in the next couple oh, months you, just, everyone's talking about it. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so we've, we, I watched that and uh, some. what else have I watched for it lately? Um, I watched Castaway. That was a new watch for me. Mm. Um, the, 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 the Tom Hanks one. Yeah. 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 Oh, so wow. that was, because that was for one that's just about to come out. It would be out by the time this episode gets released, but it was yeah. sort of, I was running out of ideas and the idea was, um, cast away spirited away and blown away um and so blown okay. away is this like competition show on netflix with um glass artists who like blow glass oh. into stuff and it's so it's like master chef but with like glass yeah so yeah, yeah. addictive like it's um kind of incredible they make wow. all this amazing stuff every week uh and then yeah and then i watched spirited away for the second time which I uh, never watched a, a, a Ghibli or a Ghibli until I mm. met my wife and their family. And I mm. think I was a bit, I had a lot of expectations for Spirited Away when I first watched it. But like watching it for the second time, absolutely incredible. Like mm. they're so amazing. Like the animation is just insane because it came out 20 years ago. And yeah. I don't think you would find anything better animated today. And. There's like the stories are just so strange, but they're like the most entrancing, like hypnotic, soothing movies ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've been watching a lot for that. My favorite movie from last year, though, um, I mentioned it in my top 10 
movie list of last year. Wow, can I even remember what I put at number one? This is embarrassing. <laughs> um, no, probably not. But I watched a movie called First Cow, which was great. Oh. Um, and that's got a uh, that was really hard to find. It's actually now in Australia, and I'll probably want to do an episode on it one day. But um, that's about like this, the, you know, these American uh, fur trappers in the 1800s. And there's like a wow. chef, like a chef who, you know, he his job is to like uh, find food for all the hunters as they move along. And um, he and, and meets up with this other guy who's like a bit of a an entrepreneurial guy and they start stealing milk from this first cow in the territory <laughs> uh, to make these amazing things they call, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called. Anyway, but they're like these fried dough balls um, that they okay. make from this milk, and uh, they start making a killing in the, and like you know they're basically making them right under the nose of the British people that own the cow. And anyway, so it's kind of like this little slow pace thriller that's like really wholesome and has a really yummy food in it. Um, that's great. Anyway, I could talk for ages, but there's been mm. been some good stuff. <laughs> great, great. Should we get stuck into it? Should we? Let's do it. I'm yeah, so excited. Right. So, well, the first part is to let's look at the menu. So I'll give a quick little plot and everything. So the movie is Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe? Great title. It was released mm. in 1978 and the plot is as follows. One by one, the greatest chefs in Europe are being killed. Each chef murdered in the same manner that their own special dish is prepared in. Food critics and the many self-proclaimed greatest chefs in Europe demand the mystery be solved. So this film is directed by Ted Kotcheff. It's written by Peter Stone, based off the novel by Nan and Ivan Lyons, and stars George Segal, Jacqueline Bissett, and Robert Morley. The film is a bit of a cult comedy whodunit film, and as we mentioned, it is very hard to find online. Yeah. Good luck yeah. finding it. We, I'm going to actually link you to some websites. So if you are a bit of a physical media junkie, look, physical media junkie like me, you can get the Universal DVD, um, which is pretty cool. And it's literally like, I don't know how many there is left because the more websites I look for, they keep on getting sold out. So wow. whatever country you're in, you can go and get that DVD. I'm pretty sure it will work in every DVD player. So mm. go and find it. Uh, I think it's, I definitely think you should go and find it. It's a pretty fun, easy watch. Uh, and if Jeez. you like food, yeah, I think you should go find it. So we mm. are about to go into pretty deep spoiler territory. So if you don't want to be spoiled, we wish you luck going and finding the movie. Then come <laughs> back and we're going to dive into the spoiler review. So great. Nick, why don't you go first? Let's start off with highlights. Oh, um, well, I think the highlight generally was, uh, you know, was was the experience of watching it. I think um, I haven't watched a movie from that era for so long, and to have that like authentic film grain look and mm -hmm. feel, and just like, and like uh, even because for a lot of people maybe don't know, uh, like I, part of my job is I'm a videographer as well, so. Um, you know, shot choices. It was specifically like the coloring, the grading of the footage um, just looked so good and so like um, old world, but in, in that beautiful style that I, you just don't see anymore because everything's so bright and flashy and crisp and clear. And it was yeah, yeah, just yeah. getting to watch this movie with these like soft tones and there are a lot of shots, I think a lot with um, 
with Natasha O'Brien, Jacqueline Bissett's character, who she's often she's often framed behind with the, with like great backlighting, um, and it just creates this almost like ethereal soft light. Um, you know, oh, so just experience of watching it was a massive highlight. But I think that, um, and you know, what also is you don't often hear those sorts of accents in movies anymore. That like very very British. Um, yeah, so, uh, hello, Beecham. And, uh, you know, that's sort of <laughs> incredibly like it just is everything is super toned down now. Um, and just to go back to that era just felt amazing for me. So, I mean, in terms of in terms of storyline, I was also just so I was so in love with just how easy it was to watch. Uh, mm. it, it, I went into it really not expecting to, I thought it was going to be quite slow paced. Um, but it, 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 it had a great pacing to it as well. And I thought um, just, just from the, from like a, from a story aspect, it was just a really fun, easy watch. Uh, you know, I, I kind of also knowing it was going to be a whodunit. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Clue with Tim Curry and, uh, and all of them. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Heard but... about it. I haven't seen it. Oh, you've to. got to watch it. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah. that is like that, but that is a proper like slapstick laugh a minute type um you know who done it romp um mm. which is just brilliant and so i kind of went in with that as my benchmark but it's quite a different film because obviously that's quite a situational everyone's in one house no one leaves you've got to try and find the murder the murder happens in the beginning and you've got to try and find the murder blah blah, blah. but this it's more expansive obviously they're moving from country to country um and so it has a very different feel to it so you can't really compare the two in terms of that even though they are both sort of that who done it style but um yeah, I just really loved it for the for the the type of movie that it was, the almost the nostalgic feel that it brought, um, and also just how I think it I think it holds up really well, which I think a lot of old movies don't necessarily always do. Yeah, um, another great who done it more recent uh, is Knives Out. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that, yeah. but that's an absolute banger. It's, yeah, it's very. Gross. I feel like it's very fun as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've seen this movie twice now because I watched it in preparation twice because mm, um, yeah. I wasn't sure if I'd remember too much from a little while ago. And I, th- I think I actually enjoyed it more in the second time because I mm. really, not that I had expectations, but I think I just knew exactly what I was getting in for. And it was mm. just, and I was showing it, I think because I watched it alone the first time and I watched it with um, my in-laws this time and like, yeah, that's sort of right up their alley. So they like, you know, in terms of pacing, they were like, oh, you know, at the beginning, they were like, when's the first murder going to happen? Because I think they're <laughs> waiting. Uh, I still think it, it's fine. They've got to set up the characters and everything. But yeah, yeah, I think I definitely think like the the tone is a highlight. Like, I don't know. Mm. It just felt like it went for that really campy, fun tone from the offset. Yes. And, and just just went with it as a decision and I really liked it. Um, yeah. There's some amazing banter and one-liners, especially from Max, who I think is my More, favorite yeah. character played by Robert Morley. And one of the f- craziest things I realized when I was researching is that Robert Morley won like the National Society for Films Critic Best Supporting Actor for this movie in yeah. that year. <laughs> so like yeah. he, and he, w- he was nominated at the Golden Globes, like, they really like respected him and he really goes for it. Um, I saved some favorite quotes. So like 
the be- there's a few great ones when he goes to the doctor. So the first one is like, <laughs> you know, I don't wish to be on first name terms with anyone who's had their fingers up my rectum. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, he talks about, so obviously the doctor is trying to convince him to go on a diet because he's mm. going to die. Um, and he says, I am, pre- I am what I am precisely because I've eaten my way to the top. I'm a work of art created by the finest chefs in the world. Every fold is a brushstroke, every crease a sonnet, every chin a concerto. In short, Dr. Darling, in my present form, I'm a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's my favorite line because he's just, you know, he knows exactly who he is. He's not ashamed. Yeah. And it just sums up his like prideful character so well. Yeah. Um, I think it's also good to, to say to, for people who obviously are, who haven't seen it yet, that his character is immensely obese. Uh, you yeah. know, basically, you know, uh, can't get in and out of cars unassisted, has <laughs> probably four or five chins. So that, so the the concept of, you know, he he at the movie starts with him obviously being like you said, the doctor saying you've basically got six months to live if you don't change how you're living, and he's going, you know, well, I I'm not I'm not fat because I I you know I don't want to be. I'm fat because I basically I've been created this way by the greatest chefs in Europe. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a it's such an it's such a um, an interesting thought process that he goes through. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I think like every every scene that he's in, like I'm so like focused mm. on him because he's like such a great character, and they write him so well. Um, yeah, I think like uh, yeah, I just think like the you know I don't want to keep using the word camp, but like it's not really like it camp is, to yeah. the point where it's bad but good. Like I still think it is really good. Um, mm. but just like, the, I think the, the highlight is like the opening, you know, when Max is going through and just mocking everyone mm. at the magazine and he's always thinking about food. Like he needs a bri- you know, they, he needs a brioche in the car to get to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like 1130 he needs to go eat his lunch. Um, so I relate to that. I'm sure everybody who's in lockdown relates to that because, yeah. you know, you you get to your desk. You've had breakfast. It's nine o'clock. By the time it reaches ten, you're like, I probably could have a snack now. And then <laughs> you know, lunch rolls around, then afternoon snack, and you probably have dinner. And then you're like, oh, I probably want another snack. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I like. And then yeah, the big, all the uh, the food fight at the beginning. Um, it's just yes. like so over the top. So uh, uh, yeah. But also so felt funny. like um, because that's such a, it's so funny because I actually wrote that down in my when I was when I was making a few notes. But but camp was exactly the word I used as well. Mm-hmm. So it was very campy. It wasn't. It's like um, yeah. It's like it it doesn't go full tilt. Thankfully, um, it's not full tilt slapstick. It's not full tilt campy. But it's like it's just it's got the best elements of both. I think in that in that sense. Um, but also the way that they do because obviously they got all the chefs from you know France and Italy and Switzerland. I think. Um, and all of that sort of thing, but the way that they almost overly stereotype each of those those nations uh, is also quite funny because it's almost like they're just leaning in hard to like the worst possible stereotypes you can come up with um, for for those <laughs> things. Because I mean, this, and also I think obviously being nineteen seventy eight, it's like there's less. Um, it's it's noticeable how much misogyny is in this movie. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was wondering when just, this was going to come up. <laughs> that just wouldn't fly uh, today, but I, I I don't know if it wouldn't fly because I think that it almost they almost do address it as bad behavior. So it's not yes. like they're going. It's not like the old James Bonds where he's just he's just an absolute ass to women, and it's like oh well he's so great. 
you know, it is, it is addressed in the movie as going like, what, like, why do you do this, you know? And I think there was, um, I must actually find it, but um, yeah, I'll find it for you just now and I'll keep, I'll keep talking. But there's yeah, a yeah. great quote by, by um, was it Fausto, Fausto Zoppi, the, the Italian chef, when he was, he was talking, oh man, where, where's my notes now? Okay, I'll find it just now and get back yeah, to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, oh, I want to mention on that because that was something I picked up, especially the second time, was just like, just, I don't know, like those actors are pretty fame. Like I looked it up. They're, they're pretty well-known actors in there. You know, it's a very mm. well-known Italian actor, French actor who played them. And I was wondering whether they were just going for it, like now were sort of self-referentially mocking themselves in their yes. performance or whether they were a little bit offended on how over the top and frankly, like pretty misogynistic and pretty frankly, like openly sexual <laughs> characters yeah. are like, yeah. there's just some pretty, like, I was just like, wow, you're very direct. Um, in some <laughs> yeah. moments. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think, I think that it does. Yeah. I think the characters, I think obviously, you know, um, Jackie has to deal with that a lot. And I think, yeah. you know, that's the character that the audience is meant to really follow through the whole movie. And she's obviously yeah. like, you're all pig heads. Um, yeah. And, you know, she yeah. ends up going with some of those men to annoy her ex-husband. And that's yeah. the, the real question, which we might want to answer later, is uh, why she goes back uh, to yeah. her ex-husband. But because yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I don't think it's George Segal's fault. Like, I think he played the character <laughs> very well, but I do not like that guy at all no. robbie ross like he and just the first scene of him in that putting on that american accent in when he's in that veg, veg the vegetarian yes, restaurant yes, and yes, he's yes. like yeah. way over the top i'm like wow you have if this is what you're if you went made to annoy me we're well, doing a very good job <laughs> so annoying <laughs> no his character i think his character is meant to be very antagonistic but um he is also just so effortlessly charming in that movie yeah. like nothing nothing uh, gets him gets him down you know nothing sets him back he's just yeah he's just uh it's crazy uh, you know how how sort of yeah like almost it's almost like slimy but in but it doesn't yeah. come across as slimy it almost just comes across as this like little cheeky charming chappy you know but i don't know yeah oh he um he's very yeah he's very smooth and very persistent and very optimistic um <laughs> yeah yeah definitely obviously... definitely thinks highly of himself yeah Definitely. I feel like he's a bit water for ducks back in terms of mm. being aware of any of his faults. But um Yeah. 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 Did you find I love that his Yeah, I did. but also I love his interaction with uh, with Max. Max just absolutely hates him. But they have this sort of like <laughs> the banter between the two of them is just phenomenal. Oh but, yeah, um, the quote great I, banter. The, the quote I found from from um when she's with when she's with uh, Zoppy and they've just gone to the market and he you know he pinches her, pinches her bum. Whatever. And she goes, why do you Italian men always, why do you always do this? Why do you, what is it about Italian men and pinching? And then he has that great quote and he goes, it is a test of quality. You, you tap a melon, you squeeze a cabbage, and you pinch a woman. And it's just, it's just this like, he's just like, well, I don't see the problem here. You know, and I think that's the, that's what I mean in the, in the sense of how far they lean into the, the just that classic stereotype of, of the Italian man as just being these, uh, you know, free, freely womanizing men, but that's amazing. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, they definitely lean into because there's a. Uh, I think in a less sort of offensive way, they do the. They've gathered all those French chefs because they're not sure who mm. the um, the French chef will be until they make that connection that they're all they're following the four people in the magazine who did yeah. the you know world's greatest meal, um, and so they gather all the French chefs together and all of them are saying. You won't see me tonight. Like I'm gonna die because I'm clearly the best chef here. Um, yeah, you know, playing yeah. into that French arrogance trope. Oh. But I found that I found that really funny. That was a highlight. Also that funny. Scene. That was yeah, pretty yeah, I funny. Found it very um, funny. <laughs> no, that was classic. I, also, how you know they're all sitting so far apart. Like uh, they don't even have time for each other. You know, it's 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 ironic because for each of them, no one on earth probably has as much in common with them as the other people in that courtyard. But they're so they're so arrogant that they're like I'm I'm not even going to give them the time of day because they are so beneath me. But everyone thinks the same about everyone else. You know, it's great. Yeah, it's like that classic. Um, you know, they always say that like writers hate each hate other writers because they get yeah. jealous. Like if a writer's good and successful, like they're like, dang, why can't I be that? Because um, <laughs> yeah. you know they're all like throwing shade at each other. Like you, I can't remember what ingredient was. But like he freezes his this ingredient and everybody's like no <laughs> like, how dare you <laughs> yeah you freeze your chicken livers that's right are you, that's right are you accusing me <laughs> oh it's so great that's so great yeah man it's so funny um yeah so i mean was there any other characters that we haven't really mentioned um, um there's, there's, well, obviously obviously beecham is a is quite an important Beecham. character quite an important character to mention uh-huh. Um, if you haven't, if you've reached this far without being spoiled, we're about to give away mm-hmm. a big, big spoiler. Yeah, but I'm interested to know when you did you did you uh, did you suspect early on? I'm interested to know when you kind of maybe figured it out, or if it's yeah. I think it's funny with like when I watch murder mystery. So the first time, I think I was pretty. You know, it sounds weird, but I'm I try to be pretty less critical in a way. Like yeah. I try and switch my brain off. It's hard mm. to because you kind of want to go along with the ride and mm. let the red herrings come and like I really kinda of, I wasn't surprised at the end, but I was sort of mm. probably about three quarters through, I was it was either Max or Beecham, like it was yeah, you know, halfway yeah. through or something. And then yeah. you know, and then you were like you kind of go, would Max really kill them? Like he wants to eat the food. Yeah, like, And I don't yeah. think he has that much motivation to really um, kill them because yeah. he wants to eat the food. Like he'd much rather eat them than kill them. Um, well, I mean, in a, in, a, in a gigantic ironic twist, I don't know, have you, have you read anything about the book that it's based on? I, the only thing I've read, I haven't read that book, but I've read that they've switched two things in that the book, the murder is uh, revealed at the beginning yes. and that the murder is a different person. Yes. And the murderer is Max in the book. In the, um, in the book. Yeah. Yeah. He's the murderer, which is interesting. It's interesting wow. because it, I, I, cause I actually, I found the, I found, um, I found the PDF online just to, just to see if I could see, cause I also wanted to just out of interest, find out who it was originally. And, and it's, it's the same, it's the same motivation, but, but just, yeah, they're just coming from him. And I think you're right. I think it makes more sense the way they did it in the movie because 
I agree. I don't. I don't think his character would have enough motivation to because he's. It's almost like he's devoted his whole life to food, and he loves it so much that I don't think that he would almost have the willpower to. Although maybe that's the whole point, really, is because in the book he he basically says, mm. "How could they? How could they know that they were killing me?" And and so the the only way the only way to stop this now is for me to to kill them, basically. Yeah, like if you don't actually have the self-control to stop eating, mm. the only way to really stop eating is to actually kill the people making the food that you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um so that was interesting as a little a little aside twist from the book to the movie version, but uh, but I I agree. I I I didn't ever think it was going to be him. And I, although I did have a I did have that suspicion near the end where they started pointing the red herrings towards him. Yeah. Right at the end and I thought, "Or oh, maybe, maybe maybe, I don't know." But I I called I'm with you on the sense of going, I don't, I don't often like to try to overthink it. I try to just watch it and just let it happen. For some reason, sometimes your brain just goes, what about this? Yeah, what about, yeah of course. What yeah, about this? And natural. obviously you're like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be Robbie Ross. Like it's too obvious to be him. And then my brain just goes to, there aren't enough other characters in this, um, in this movie who it could be. And I was like, who would be the most logical? And there was something in the beginning where, they make her character almost, almost so concerned for his health, you know, that you go, she's the only one then that has motivation to potentially go, he can't stop himself, so I'm going to stop it for him, you know. Um, and I, that kind of hit about halfway through and almost got confirmed in that scene where she's counting his calories when he has, she has yeah. a whole dinner, dinner laid out for him and she's going, yeah, oh, your yeah. red wine is 64 calories, this you know, you get one bite of this and that's nine calories, of, you know, so you could see they were kind of setting it up for, for her to be the one who's going, basically, she just cares so much about him that she would almost do anything from, even though surprisingly, he, he's not great to her. He's, he's quite like, he's quite, um, yeah, just rude and uncaring yeah. and unfeeling for her as a person. So it's interesting that she has such a deep connection to him. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, uh, that is pretty fascinating. Like he's a bit of an oaf, um, mm. to say the least. And I, I do think now that I'm reflecting on it, that the, you know, because the big plot point, which we read out about this movie, is that the chefs are killed in the nature of their most famous dish. And that mm. makes more sense from Max being the murderer rather than yes. Beecham. Because Max yes, is a bit theatrical and, you know, he obviously knows what those most famous dishes are. And so would Beecham because, you know, he would probably talk about them all the time. But, um, mm. yeah, I think by the end I was pretty impressed, I guess. Like, it's always hard in a murder mystery to really, like, surprise the audience. Like, you you mm. know, um, you're often looking for the character that's not too mainstream but is has enough of a motivation that you'll get surprised. Um, And so, yeah, it's, I was like, yeah. So with, when I watched with my family, you know, they, they, uh, they kind of, it was interesting to follow their journey. So I think they suspected um, that Grand Villiers guy who Mm. is upset that he wasn't named part of the four, uh, Mm. four greatest chefs for the four greatest meals article. Um, and he's obviously, so they've got him in every country. They've got Robbie Ross in every country. And then you mm. realize there's this one little scene where I, they had to try and get, um, they got Max over to try the pressed duck. And that's how they got Beecham over there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was a bit, they, I think they were on the, I didn't think 
yeah, they were on the Grandvilliers line and then uh, I think by about the time that they start coming back that, uh, you know, my mother-in-law was like, oh, I think it's, um, I think it's the assistant. And so I, you know, you're mm. trying to watch and not give it away. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think I like she does a really good job selling it at the end, like as an actress, like I think her yes. performance at the yeah. final scene where Max is, from my understanding, he's just engorged. Like he's just ate, eaten so much to the point mm. that he's going to die is what I understand it to be. Cause he's giving, yes. he's giving himself up so that, and, and confessing, doing a fake confession so that Beecham wouldn't um, get arrested. What, it's how interesting. did he I mean, die I, exactly? Yeah, I, I don't know. See, I don't know if it was meant to be, I don't know if it was almost meant as a confession. I think it was almost meant as another, like the one last final red herring, I think. Because yeah. like we said, he doesn't seem to, I think he does care for her obviously on some level, but I don't think he necessarily would care enough because like we said, he he really only really cares about himself at the end of the day. I don't think that he would do this grand final gesture of trying to, of trying to, you know, take the fall for her. I think almost in the way that she explains it is that he's so overcome with grief for what she's done and he knows, and it's almost like, because her whole thing was, I don't want you to die by eating yourself to death, essentially. And so then his thing of going, I can't believe you've done this. Now, as punishment, you need to watch me eat myself to death, but in one meal, essentially. You know, that's what it, that's what it kind of came across to me as, um, more of like a, you, you know, like, I can't bear to live with what you've done. And now, you know, you need to, you need to watch as I, as, as I kill myself with food. Wow. The very thing, the, the very thing that you have been so, <laughs> so afraid of happening. Yeah. 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 Wow. That interpretation makes so much sense. And that's, mm. uh, he's just makes me realize he's just a terrible person. Yeah, uh, he really is. <laughs> I mean, you know, your favorite characters obviously don't always have to be the greatest people, but yeah, he's pretty no. terrible. Um, yeah, he is quite an anti-hero, but gosh, he's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think they weave it all together pretty well. I think if I was to have any down points, I think it's always hard to adapt a book just in general. Mm. Um, especially like if it's a murder mystery, because it's, you've got to invite, like, it's not like you can just cut out lots of elements. Like you have to make sure... Mm everything makes sense that all the characters are where they need to be that there's enough red herrings to throw people off the scent and there's enough of a reasonable motivation that the murderer makes sense um i think like this i think that's at sometimes the screenplay was really great with all the the banter and the one-liners mm. and i think structurally it's sort of just a bit flimsy um mm. not so much that you notice i think it's a very easy watch but i i think you, you know it was so you, you still i sort of was seeing how the plot was working like oh we need to get natasha back so we'll have a big part of yeah. the tv show and you know it wasn't like too much of a criticism but like i think and i do think like the i kind of got a little bit sick of the over the top basically the italian and the french guy were both pretty similar um yeah yeah in terms of like how they were written in the over the topness but oh not the french guy yeah. sorry i like the french guy molyneux he was he actually yes, seemed yes, like yes, a really yes. 
nice human being. And I liked that little history with Natasha that was implied. Yeah, um, so. the, the romantic history. And he seemed like a really, you know, I liked him. It was a bit funny how he ex- ex- explained how he did the press duck. That was very well, that's what I wanted to say. I, I found that scene really strange or in a way because I know that they were trying to, they're obviously trying to foreshadow how he's going to die, obviously. But they, they make his facial expressions while he's doing it quite strange. Like he's got this very like ominous, like, like oh, yeah. oh, I'm going to crush the bones, whatever, you know, like, and, uh, and you're like, you wouldn't do that because, you know, obviously you do this all the time. This is your signature. It would just be a thing you do. You wouldn't be pulling all these weird faces and, yeah. and being like so over the top. Like it was, oh, listen, it was like he was like a Bond villain, bone. like giving a monologue yeah. about how he's going to take over the world while like crushing a press duck. Like, yeah. you know, oh, it felt, I didn't, and also, I don't really understand conceptually how, well, how does that become a dish? Cause you're basically just squeezing all the blood out of the heart and then it all just runs into that little bowl. Like what happens to it then? Yeah, I was, that's a good point actually. Cause I wasn't sure if it was like something you serve on top of something. Like, do you have it with yeah, vegetables or in a salad or on another piece of meat? Or is it like having like a little starter? Like you'd have a little, you know, tiny bowl of miso like would you just have a tiny little shot glass of pressed duck like it just seemed a bit weird it does seem um, does seem very strange yeah i'm not Almost sure maybe it's like the basis of like a jus or something like that i don't know but I, mm. I, I didn't really i didn't really understand it but i did have one thought which we'll get to later but my um my big thought coming out of this movie was i'm very intrigued to see which of the recipes you're going to take as your oh. as your takeaway to try to try at home so we'll, we'll get to well, that later uh, I'm sure. not but, a spoiler oh alert but i actually did make a recipe about six months ago so <laughs> um yeah it will be interesting i'll okay, tell you i'll okay. tell you when we talk more about the yeah, food, yeah 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 get there, um, gosh. i really liked natasha as a character like i think yeah I think she's written well, but the only thing that like disappointed me in the movie, I think, was the fact that she kind of very easily got back together with mm. Robbie Ross. Like, you know, at the beginning, yeah. you find out that they that he that you know they got a divorce because um, Robbie Ross cheated on her, and mm. you know, it sounds like they're pretty worlds apart. Like, she's a a high level dessert chef, and he's trying to pedal you know, cheap omelets and really cheap fast food and get all mm. of his chains around the world. Um, so like on that level, they're pretty different and he yeah. doesn't really seem to be remorseful. And it's not like he's coming in apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry, I made the huge mistake. He was just, I think mm. he's, I think it's like, oh, you know, what's a roll in the hay with the secretary that's not really cheating. It's kind of like, well, yeah. really yeah. is. Um, yeah. And, you know, and so that's, it's funny because the movie for about half the movie, you get Natasha going and basically out of spite being with these men and like mm. letting Robbie know about it. And then they go to France and in France, like he does this whole trick, like, Oh, the concierge says that there's a conference <laughs> in town and you've got to stay in my room. And, um, you know, they dance and have a big fight, which is like probably the most they actually fought. Yeah about all of their things and their differences and you know and then from there they seem to be together um and happy and by the end of the movie it's funny the end of the movie you don't find out like whether Beecham is put on trial or anything like Mm -hmm. that you just see that they get 
um, remarried. But and it's so such I a think terrible, me, terrible ceremony. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can't remember if they like anyway. They just didn't look that great, to be honest. Um, no, it looked like it looked like the launch of, of his stupid H Dumpty omelette. Oh shop. yes, that's right. Because I was because they've got that big um the big logo this, there. Yeah, and then it's basically oh like just getting married in front of this weird logo for the launch of his store, and then it's kind of like it feels like they're going oh and part of the launch will also just get married. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Don't, ma- don't make they... me Keish Lorraine anymore, please. Exactly. <laughs> they say it in their vows as well. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, so I think that plot line annoyed me a little bit. Not that, mm. like, she had... I, didn't just, I don't know. I don't know if she really needed to get together with... Not that she was anybody else that she was going to become long-term partners with, but I don't know. I guess it is a nice sort of resolution, but I just well, felt like that what, slightly you... weakened her as a character. But. I agree, and I think you know what I think. It, I think it probably suffers from like the curse of just being in like an old movie where it's almost like it's expected that there has to be a love interest. You know what I mean? I think that it's it's more common nowadays in the last 10, 15 years where it's almost people have been given like license to just be themselves in movies. They don't always have to fall in love. I mean, obviously, it's still a big plot point in ninety percent of movies out there, but. I think it is interesting, like you say, they wrote her character so strong. Like she's such a strong world woman, knows what she wants, knows who she is. And I think you could have, I think there's no, there's no sort of uh, reason in the story for them to have to get together. It doesn't mean anything in the story. It doesn't have any long lasting effect. I think you really could have had, what I think would have even played better is the banter between them when he's trying to get with her the whole time and she's kind of rebuffing his efforts. I think if you just played that out to the end, like, you, you know, it's, it makes her character seem stronger. His character kind of gets what he deserves. Plus, it, it just gives you a whole bunch more opportunities for them to have funny interactions rather than, mm. you know, them, rather than them actually ending up together. But I think one of the things that I also saw in the book um, when I was skim reading it is uh, what they have thankfully left out of this movie is the incredibly graphic nature of those sex scenes. I mean, um, I was actually quite shocked, like, if, especially for, for books from that time, I was, it, it, it leaves no, uh, leaves no stone unturned in the, in how graphic they, that was actually written. So I think it's almost like they, maybe even in their minds, they're like, oh, we've toned it down so much that we'll just, we'll, you know what I mean? We'll just still do something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like my word. Yeah, right. Wow, that's surprising. Because um, mm. I was like, wow. And like, you know, I was like, it's sort of a family, not family friendly, but like it was sort of a mystery. You don't expect so many scenes. And I was like, mm. some of it was slightly or like a bit awkward, but I was like, whatever. Mm. But yeah, that's surprising. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I only yeah, read I the, I think I only read the scene where in, in the movie where it's, it's her with, um, oh, who's the first guy? The Swiss, is he the Swiss chef? Uh, I'm pretty sure he is. Is he um the first guy that gets killed essentially? So they spend the night together, and then she finds he's him. He's the, the 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 pi- the pigeon guy. Yes, the other baked pigeon guy. Anyway, so it, I mean that that scene is the one that I read, and I was it was it was very intense. But it's also interesting because then in that in the book she she's not the one to find him. She leaves and goes somewhere else and then only gets told later that he has been found, blah, 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 blah. So 
it's interesting and the little the little differences. But do you know, just on on the on that note, we're talking about the actual the actual killings again. Obviously, it's a movie. You, you know, you've got to be able to suspend your your disbelief at some point. But theoretically, Beecham is a fairly old woman to be able to firstly overpower these men and to lift them into you know ovens or I mean to get to get Zoppy into that fish tank you're gonna lift uh-huh. him up quite high uh-huh. do you know what I mean like so th- like practically how is she doing that I don't know obviously it doesn't matter who cares but I yeah. mean it's just an interesting thing to think about <laughs> you make a very good point like also throwing you know you don't, you don't see the press duck murder thankfully but um mm. seeing you know throwing him to into the duck press and stuff like you do wonder how especially in the um in the oven murder how she doesn't get woken up because surely like yeah. you think practically like are you, are you ripping all of the trays out of the oven while like one hand <laughs> you're trying to like put him in like it just seems like yeah. it's a cool gimmick like i like the concept like it's definitely the concept that gets you to watch like oh they're murdered yeah, yeah, in the yeah. way that they're um yeah and i think the best i think the best way that they've done did it that makes more sense for her character is putting a bomb in the ice cream bomb like that's yeah, clever yeah, yeah, it's yeah. funny it makes sense for her because it's not um it's just switching a bomb you know she's she could yeah. do all of that but the first three are pretty physical yeah. <laughs> heap of murders yeah. um well, i mean i mean also i suppose it's the same would be true if it was in even in the book if it was max i mean like you see in the in the movie max can't even get out of a car without the guy pulling him you know, his driver pulling him out of the car. Like, how is he physically going to be able to lift people? So either either of the characters, is, it's it's so you've got to suspend your disbelief a little bit just to be able to see how they're doing it. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. At the end of the day, you're not watching the movie for realism. Let's be honest. No, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the only other thing from the movie that I wanted to mention, I like the music. Is Henry Mancini, who mm. he's done a lot of films. You know, he did a lot of classic films from like the '40s all the way up to like the 80s when like four oscars um i think he's like i like the i, I like the opening credits i think his music there's pretty cool um mm. and he hits very i wouldn't call it a subtle score in any way shape or form <laughs> um, i think it very much wants to tell you how it feels but i i think it suits the tone of the movie really well um yeah yeah, yeah. so that was the only other thing i really wanted to mention um, um I, I was looking at up some of the trivia. I think you, we probably found the same the same trivia stuff, especially on IMDb. But two of the things that stood out to me on the trivia was was the food budget alone for this movie. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for, especially for 1978. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even now I look at this and go, that is an insane amount of money. So 180 thousand dollars just for food in this movie. And when you think about that being spent in in 78, man, that is unbelievable. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and the fish it, market scene, $3,000 yeah. just on the fish market scene, which yeah. is what, maybe a minute and a half of like at most but, of like two second yeah. shot, you know, montage of all of these yeah. wild seafoods. Which is also so funny because that was actually one of the scenes that stood out to me going, what is what an interesting, like almost transitional choice because you haven't done that anywhere else in the movie where you've just, you've just taken loads and loads and loads of random shots of things. And this is just like, hey, how many fish can we can we film in like a minute, you know? And, uh, and obviously, like they they spent the money and they were going to get their money's worth on those fish. Mm. 
it's it's a lot um yeah that's a good transition into the favorite food moments and you know mm. what i'm just going to reveal so i made the ice cream bomb for my okay. recipe okay okay so because that was probably my favorite food i'm a bit of a sweet tooth and i love desserts so i really love the scene where nat makes the ice cream bomb at the beginning because um, mm. you get to see all of the layers and her like putting all the decorations on um, mm. I really like when you in movies when you get to see the preparation side um, I yeah. think it's really cool and yeah that would have cost a lot of money to make because that's a big big thing mm. and they make two I make, mm. think they make four of them in the movie yeah, um, yeah. and so how yeah faithfully, how faithfully did you recreate yeah it's a good question uh, it was a hard recipe to find so basically I made one with four layers i believe so okay basically the recipe i had was like told you to go and buy some store-bought things and then i also got me to try and make a a mango uh sorbet kind of on my own mm. it's a bit of an australian one but the so i don't recommend trying to make a mango sorbet on your own <laughs> uh yeah. especially if you have limited freezer space it took so long it was kind of like yeah getting the mango like and some water and some sugar and stuff and then trying to let it freeze and stirring it and letting it freeze and stirring it for like 10 hours and i was like why wow. did i do this to myself yeah. <laughs> i wanted to try it but i'm way too ambitious all the time um mm -hmm. so basically i had like a layer of like raspberry um sort of sorbet and like then yeah raspberry strawberry and then the mango and then so basically you've got to put it in a bowl a big mixing bowl you put the mm. layer in then you put another bowl in to like get it pressed up against the sides uh, okay. to make that shape and so yeah, then yeah, yeah. you've got to let that freeze for a bit and set and then you add your next layer okay. um and so it's hard because you you need to try and make sure you have the right size bowls so that yes. you can um she did it all on a on a big chopping board the right side up um but yeah she, yeah, yeah. she did it on the dome, way yeah. to do it yes and then you put the next layer in and then you push it down and make the layers um okay and so then did you, you use did you say you used you used a sorbet or did you, she, in the movie they used doesn't she coat it with like fresh raspberries all around yeah she did i didn't i somehow did not pick that up the first time so the second time i watched oh. i was like oh my goodness, she has covered that completely with raspberries. If I knew mm. that was in it, I definitely would have done it. I did cover it with whipped cream. Okay. So once I'd frozen it all, I took it out and covered it with whipped cream and then cut it in half uh, and then cut like a slice off. And it was really delicious. Um, so did you set I, it on fire? I didn't set mine on fire. Um, <laughs> I remember when I made it, I was making it on a really sunny day. And then because mm. it took me so long, I actually only finished it the next morning and I was going to take it to work and it, I took mm. it to work on like a 15 degree rainy day and so nobody mm. really wanted to eat it. Um, <laughs> so that was a bit disappointing. I was like, this took me like 24 hours to make. Um, it's definitely yeah. fun to make. I think if you want to make it easy on yourself, just buy the uh, the sorbet or whatever it is. I have the yeah. recipe in the show notes and everywhere on social media um, and because it, it will be a bit more clear. But you buy all of it and you let it sort of melt until it has this sort of r a bit more runnier consistency. Um, mm. And then you layer it up. It's a very good dessert. You could definitely do a lot with the decorations. Um, it'd be a pretty good showstopper. 
summer yeah. dessert, I reckon. Yeah. Um, I've only ever had one bomb, uh, like a, I was a, I'm not sure how, I honestly don't know enough about them, but a, a friend of mine made like a bomb Alaska, which I think is ooh. very similar, but um, also covered in the, um, like a, almost like a meringue, like a, like a fluffy meringue, like marshmallowy texture. Is that right? I think so. Wow. And then, and then sort, of blow, then sort of blow torch the outside. So it like, um, it just made like a really nice, like, uh, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about when you blow torch meringue and stuff, man, uh -huh. Uh -huh. So it was, it was really, really amazing. Yeah. So I, I've only ever had that once, but man, and it looked, it looked hard to make. Like she, she made it, a friend of mine made it for her husband's birthday and it was like, this big treat, you know, so it wasn't like a thing she just makes all the time because it, it definitely yeah. took her quite a while. Definitely one to do on the weekend if you've got time on a sunny day yeah. and share it with friends. Um, it's, yeah. It is really yummy though. Like even, even though I made my own sorbet, like it was still really incredibly delicious. So I definitely think you should try it out. So if you, yeah, yeah so you can find the recipe in the show notes on social media. Would love to see if you actually made one. If you made one, show me photos because yours is probably better than mine and I want to see it. Um, <laughs> so please send it in. Um, was mm. there any other food that was interesting to you? I think we've talked about the pigeons. I'm like, it looked so cool, the pigeon pie. It did pie. look cool. Did look I just cool. don't know if I'd want to eat a pigeon. Have you no. ever eaten pigeon? No, and I've eaten quite <laughs> a lot of weird things, like I really have. But I mean, I you know, conceptually, if, you, if you're the kind of person who lives in a city you, you just have a very specific connotation of how dirty pigeons are. You know what I mean? And obviously that's not the kind of pigeons they're eating, but I wouldn't be able to get that out of my head. I'd just be like, oh, pigeons are gross. You know, they're like sky rats. Like I, I just don't know if I'd, <laughs> I'd really want to eat. I'd really want to eat that. The pressed duck doesn't doesn't sound or didn't look appealing to me either. No. Um, I imagine lobster probably would have been the, the nicest. We didn't even get to see that one, unfortunately. We, we didn't get to see the dish, did we? We just sort no. of knew he was into seafood so yeah i mean those lobsters um, looked enormous from from when he when he pulled them out of that fish market they oh, looked massive massive um, so that seemed like that would have been quite cool but i think yeah the bomb alaska probably is the is the um yeah, like you say the big showstopper at the end there i'm trying to think was there anything else that we saw yeah I me mean, too i think there's a scene where he goes to that restaurant and he's got a lot of food in front of him mm. um that he seems to be eating. They have the food fight. Mm. There's um, the final bomb creation. Then there's. I'm just glad you didn't. I'm just glad you didn't uh, take the easy route out and just make a make an omelet from H. Uh, make an omelet. <laughs> I don't. I'm not usually one to take the easy road out. Sometimes with no, this I show, know. but I does. I try and make it to inspire me to try try some crazy things. Yeah. Um, so this is a good movie to do that because because like because obviously this is meant to be like the world's craziest meal and so it's 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 never going to be something simple you know no no um yeah. yeah i guess i mean we'll talk about more in our ratings but surprisingly like you think about where that hundred eighty thousand dollars must have went but like mm. there's not a crazy crazy amount of food on screen um, I wonder, I mean, I wonder, because also one of the facts is that the, all of the food was created by Paul Bacuse, who um, I didn't have a, I mean, up until a few years ago, I didn't really know about until someone actually gifted me a, um, a, a Paul Bacuse signature uh, chef's knife. Um, oh, and I was cool. like, okay, I've never heard of this brand being such a, um, 
uh, an idiot and, and when I researched it basically found out obviously who he was and you know such a such a um, like grandfather of European cooking and specifically French Nouvelle cuisine um, and so he was the guy who obviously made all of the food in the movie so you can see his his skill level is obviously incredible and I wonder oh, how much of that amazing. budget if if that budget was just for food or if the food budget encapsulated maybe his fee as well I don't know because that oh, also might that make more sense. sense as to why it would be so expensive yeah I mean I think from what I've learned, like they hired a real chef to make the food in chef. I think it's really like the movie chef. I think you really got to hire a chef to make your food look so good. Like that was a pretty great choice because the food does look like spectacular in the movie. It it all looks like it is made by like one of the best chefs in the world. So Mm -hmm. I do give them lots of credit for that. And I do relate to um, the guy who makes the pigeon pies, like his whole like, you know, you know he's so like anxious about the food he's like be careful like don't break the tail and he then he like where's the watercress and then like it comes out and he's like oh it looks terrible like send it out i don't care anymore um yeah and and, you know i definitely relate to that especially i mean i've never cooked for the queen before um sure really so yeah well yet let's let's say let's say yet yet. yeah um maybe maybe you'll be the king by the time she's living a long time queen elizabeth that's true that is true (laughs) (laughs) um is there anything else you want to mention before we move on to final thoughts and ratings Uh, i'm trying to think i'm trying to think i think my favorite scene in the movie i actually i actually stopped it to take a screenshot because i want to put it as my background for my computer is how beautiful that scene was where she's um she's on it's not really a gondola it is a, it is like a little speedboat but she's going through the, one of the canals in mm. venice as, she, as she's about to pull up and it's just that time of day the lighting was incredible like she's a beautiful woman it's just a, it's just a beautiful it's just a beautiful shot man so like i just want to emphasize again how how much i really loved the the cinematography in this movie yeah it's it is a beautiful movie um i definitely think I'll have more thoughts about it when we get to mm-hmm. the ratings. So we may as well go there. Um, we'll give our compliments to the chef. And actually, yeah. there's a quote in the movie where he says he's going to go give his compliments to the chef. So I'm inserting that here. Where are you going? To pay my compliments to the chef. And let's do it. So if you remember from last time, we give the food a rating out of 10 in the movie and we also give like the film a rating out of 10 in the movie mm. um as always i always go into the i never come up with my ratings before i always want to have my conversation because i feel like my mm. mind changes mm. after you talk to someone deeply about it so i have no idea where i'm going but i'm happy okay. to start unless you want to start no you go for it all right all right well i start with the food because like I was saying, like we are just saying, you expect a lot because it is called Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe. Like you're obviously expecting mm. the whodunit, but you're also expecting there to be lots of good food because they're being killed in their signature style. And it is a food mm. movie in that way. And so you get like the bomb, the ice cream bomb is incredible. It's everything I was expecting it to be. It looks amazing. It's theatrical. It's great. The pigeon pie, even though it, uh, I wouldn't eat it. Like the detail on the and the crust, like looked absolutely mm. incredible. Like, yeah, I would eat it if it was put in front of me. I'd eat it. 
even though I know it's pigeon. Like I probably would eat it. Um, <laughs> I'm not a like the seafood. Like I like seafood, but that's that big scene didn't exactly make my mouth water. It was just interesting. Mm. Uh, mm. Press duck. I'm sorry, not a fan. I don't think I'd ever mm. really willingly eat that. And I don't know if there's too much more to say. So like the food. Do I want to settle on a six it's or a hard. seven? A six it's or hard a seven. The thing is, if you go like, you want to go like, are you rating it on how much I'd want to eat it? Are you rating it on how much on how mm. on how beautiful it looked? Are you rating it on you know because it's it, those are two very different things, like you say. Yeah, and yeah, I think the quality is good. It serves the plot well. Um, it does look excellent. So I would probably, um, you know what? I'll, I'll be generous. I'll settle on a seven. I'll settle on okay. a seven out of 10 for the food. Cause I think maybe there could have been a bit more. I'm always say that mm. when I'm reviewing, I always want more, but <laughs> um, I think the role it plays, the fact they got the professional chef, like it looks really good. Um, mm. So I'll give it a seven. And for the movie out of 10, I think, it's hard. I don't want to judge this on the same level as like something like a Ratatouille or like, you know, yeah. we did an episode this year, like on Parasite, like they're completely different movies. Mm. Like you're not really expecting it to be this complete perfect masterpiece. Um, yeah. I think you've got to go in knowing the tone is campy and it's fun. It was so easy to watch. Like it was really, really, really fun. The po- <clears throat> I love the performances. Um, I think the thing that lets me down is maybe like, as you were talking about it, like you start to pick it apart a little bit on a writing level and it, you know, if you give it a little bit of thought, uh, you you start to, your view of the movie starts to diminish a little bit. Um, But I'm, I'm, I I think I'm going to settle on a a double rating tonight. I think I'm going to do a seven and a seven. I think I'm going to do seven for the food. I think I'm going to do seven for the movie. Um, I definitely watch it again. I now own it on DVD, so it's mine <laughs> forever. Um, and I, I, I think you, you only would. It's like one of those movies where you just enjoy it more and more. It's like comforting because you like know what's mm. going to happen. You mm. enjoy the suspense and the banter and the witty one-liners and the crazy over-the-top stereotypes and the yeah. beautiful cinematography and the old-school nature and the music and. Um, it has a great finale, like the finale, like the final third of the movie is like really exciting and has great tension with the whole, mm-hmm. you know, will they stop the bomb in time and all of that kind of thing. So yeah, that's my, that's what I'm going to settle on a seven and a seven. Okay, great. Um, I was just thinking as you're saying that, that final third and you've got, uh, you've got, um, Robbie Ross running through the UK TV studios trying to find find them and there's such a it was such a weird moment where he steps onto that other set where there's two people are basically having the exact conversation slash fight that that him and natasha had on the dance floor yeah um, that's such an interesting choice to harp to harp back to uh, i think it was probably just a little throwaway joke but i don't think it had any deeper meaning than that but it was quite a funny little moment um okay ratings um i think i'm going to be slightly more generous uh than you <laughs> Uh, and I'll and I'll, I'll give my reasons why. I think I think that um, 
yeah from for all the reasons you said i think i think from from beauty uh, like like perfection of execution in terms of how the dishes looked and were were made in the show and obviously like you said they had professional chef making it i think you've got to score fairly high um like you say i probably i wouldn't have necessarily wanted to eat the pigeon or or the uh, yeah like you said, i'm also not a massive seafood lover but um probably would have tried that, the lobster. I would have loved to, like you said, would have loved to have actually seen that dish. So if they could have worked out some way to have killed them after that dish would have been great. Um, so yeah. from that, you've also got to mark them down a little bit. But, and the press duck, no thank you. So, um, but the interesting thing is, what, what I also want to give them props for is pushing, like I would, I've never, I've never would have known what a press duck is. I've never seen that mechanism. That's also just interesting to find out. So. I think I'm probably going to go with seven and a half. So not, not, not too okay. much higher than you. Um, but I will say this for, for my, um, for the movie, I'm going to go high. I'm going to, I'm honestly, I'm tossing up to an eight and a half and a nine. And I was, okay. uh, I think there's something, I think it's probably the nostalgia that's tugging at my heartstrings about this movie, because I just fell in love with, with the, with the nature of it. It is like you say, so infinitely watchable. Um, easy to watch, fun, campy. There's like, it's got just the right amount of tension and stuff. There's, you don't have to think too hard. You're not in there. It's not like a like a drama thriller. It's got the thrilling aspects, but with the fun nature of it. And uh, it's a beautiful movie. I could watch it. I feel like I could watch it a hundred times and, and enjoy it every time. So, um, and like, and the, the the character acting is great. Morley is fantastic as, as Vanderveer. Amazing. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's just all around is such a good, fun movie that I think I would I would give it a high mark. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put my toes. I want to say a nine. I'm giving it a nine. Yeah, good. Stop. I'm glad you went for a nine. Me. So good. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think if I do my maths right, that's sixteen point five plus fourteen, so thirty point five out of forty. It's a pretty good score. Yeah. A really good score. Yeah. I think it's. Yeah. I think exactly what you said. Like I think the character like the characters are so vibrant and fun and like well realized and the mm -hmm. the murder mystery is enough to keep you like engaged through and they have all these little side plots and characters and they're always sort of popping up vibrancy and color and life into every little bit you kind of mm. uh, look at me look at me changing my score i'm gonna give it an eight <laughs> for the movie i'll give it an eight <laughs> Uh, so let's give it a yes. 31.5 because I think I think I was being a bit harsh because for what it is it's really excellent like I can't mm. judge it based on other things so what it is it's mm. it's it's really really fun and I think I think you can basically pop it in front of ever, anyone really mm. and you're going to have a, a really good time yeah so, and I think as well it's, it's also worth remembering in like 1978 I mean I don't know. I think I think it's 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 held up incredibly well, for, you know. Yeah. From from that, that is, from that era. That is pretty like that's what 40, 43 years ago now. So yeah, yeah. that has held up exceptionally well. Um, and yeah. I do really, yeah, I do really appreciate. Like sometimes I see movies now that are shot in film, like that first cow movie mm. was shot on film and had that grainy texture. And initially you're a little bit like, wow, is my resolution bad? Like, uh, <laughs> and then you click and you're like, oh, this is shot on film. Like it's, it, it has yeah. become so, um, 
digital these days, all the movies, how yeah. they've been shot. I obviously don't know as much as you, but I really like the aesthetic and, you know, obviously yeah. going to all the different countries. Um, mm. You know, I think especially going to Venice was the most beautiful shot yeah. part of the whole movie. Um, yeah. A lot of the yeah. other bits are inside, but... Yeah, I think is it was it worth picking this one rather than uh, an old uh, you know something more mainstream. Definitely, definitely. There's, I mean, I saw it. I also saw that there's a whole bunch of other uh, black comedy food films that uh, I'm now going to try and make my way through. So, also Amazing. from the seventies, seems like seems like similar similar directors. So, okay, yeah. I have to keep an eye out for that one because yeah. they, you know. This could be a good trend. Like I always am looking for yeah. more movies to. Well, I'll tell you, there's there's Marco Ferrari's Le Grand Bouffe, which is the blowout, and then Amazing. Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Sounds interesting. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. You could be seeing more episodes of those at some yeah. point. Um, I yeah, I think we made a discovery. I think you know. I think if you're listening, like this is something you probably haven't heard of. Um, mm. so go and make the discovery, find out how you can watch it. Um, if you're listening and you actually know me personally, I'll very happily lend you the, the DVD. Um, and you can go watch it yourself, um, <laughs> if you can't find it anywhere, but if you're listening around the world, as I know we have some viewers, well then good luck to you. Um, mm. hopefully you can find it, but I definitely <laughs> recommend you go and check it out. Great. Well, I think that probably about wraps up the conversation, unless you have anything more. Um, why don't you tell yeah. everybody where they can find your podcast and how they can find you online and all that kind of thing? Yeah, great. Thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, so you can go, probably the easiest way to go to find everything is just go to the website, which is foodhistorypodcast.com. But uh, yeah, my podcast is hosted almost on every platform, every major platform you can find it on the the fantastic history of food. Uh, so we are about to do a big, or might be by the time this comes out, we're doing a big logo change. So if you have seen it before, um, it might look different. So you'll, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, you can find it on foodhistorypodcast.com. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go and check out and subscribe. And I know um, you can even become a Patreon listener. Is that correct? Goodness gracious! Can you ever? Yes, you can. That would be great. I've actually got a, I've got a, a lovely patron uh, in, in. Is it Manly? Are you in Manly? I am in Manly. Gosh, it might be from there. I don't know. It's somewhere up that coast of Australia. So, but very. I'll, I'll find out and message you privately. But yeah, could okay. be close to you. Who knows? Could be. <laughs> so you know, let's get a little contingent of Manly Patreon supporters. I know it helps a lot of creators out a lot especially so mm. if you can do that that would be really cool do you get like you know you get bonus things like you get episodes early i know you do yep. some bonus episodes and other things yep. like i do that. short i do short episodes um so obviously not the long 15 20 minutes is i get you know there's stories that just can't fill a whole episode that maybe like five to seven minutes long but those get you know bonus released uh, on the patreon account so it's just more content brilliant yeah. well thank you so much i you know my intention is to really get a proper release schedule happening next year um <laughs> or whenever this start this episode comes out and so you know i don't would love it to not be a year until we 
had another mm. episode. And so, yeah, would love to have you back on, um, yeah. whether it's another 70s black comedy or whether oh, it's a, um, or, you know, something else. Definitely yeah. love to have you back. Great. Thanks, man. I, I really enjoy these. This has been so fun. And I, I love I love your insights and take on movies as well. So it's good to just, yeah, it's good to just chat. And I love it. Thank you for having me on. Well, that about does it for this episode, our film and food review of Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe. Thank you again to Nick Charlie Key for coming on the show for the second time. And as you heard in the episode, we definitely want to collaborate again and check out some more of these kind of cult classic films from the 60s and 70s that are all to do with food. So stay tuned for some of that. And Nick, we definitely love to have you on the show and we want to have you back on the show as well. I definitely, definitely recommend you go and check out his podcast. It's called The Fantastic History of Food, and it deals with all sorts of fun and quirky stories, true stories from history that somehow have to do with food. It's very, very well produced, excellent production. They're 15, 20-minute episodes, so they perfectly can fit into your day, and I just love the podcast. So I really recommend you go and check him out. He is on Twitter, Instagram, and if you search in Apple Podcasts for the Fantastic History of Food, you will definitely find him. So make sure you go follow him. Make sure you go subscribe to his show. And again, Nick, thank you for coming on the show. And we can't wait to have you back. If you enjoyed this podcast, can I ask you a favor? Can you give it a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast player, especially Apple Podcasts and now Spotify? Yes, Spotify has introduced ratings. So if you're a Spotify listener, can I highly encourage you to go over and give us a five-star rating on Spotify because it helps us get up into the rankings and all sorts of things on Apple and Spotify. And it just really, really means a lot to me. So thank you so much to everybody who's done that so far. And we really, really appreciate it. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. I'll say that again fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com join us on social media on facebook instagram twitter let us know how you went with this week's recipe <laughs> what do you think of who is killing the great chefs of europe give us feedback suggest a movie or a tv show to review the most important thing is to join the conversation until next time goodbye and thanks for listening <laughs>